Hello and welcome to episode 59 of the Sustainable E-Commerce Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you build your brand for a healthier planet. As always, I'm your host, Giles Smith, and you might be forgiven for thinking that I'm becoming a little bit obsessed with brands that turn waste into value, and you'd be right. Last week, we had good citizens aiming to untrash the planet by turning post-consumer plastic into desirable eyewear. This week, we have another incredible Aussie entrepreneur who's getting even grubbier, pun very much intended, by using insects to turn food waste into protein and fertilizer. Phoebe Gardner is the co-founder of Bardi, an ag tech startup from Melbourne who's managed in just three years to scale operations up to processing 40 tonnes of food waste every single day. Food waste is one of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions. It's estimated that every tonne of food waste diverted from landfill saves nearly two tonnes of emissions. So quite aside from the alchemy of turning waste into value, Bardi's operations are already materially contributing to our struggles towards net zero. So much so that they're the first insect tech project in the world to become a recognized and certified carbon offset provider. So with that, let's start the show. Phoebe Gardner, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's going to be a lot of fun, I think. This show, in a way, builds on an episode we had, I don't know, about 20 shows ago uh, with Steph Stubby uh, from Anipal, um, you know, diving deep into uh, insect-based animal protein uh, for feed. And you guys are doing some pretty fascinating things with uh, insect-based agriculture, but before we get into exactly what you do at Bardi, uh, Phoebe, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to start the whole thing? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in the Mornington Peninsula, just outside of Melbourne, a beautiful place in the world. Uh, my school aftercare was on the beach. And so I think I had a very relaxed uh, start to life, which I, I feel very grateful for now. I went on to study um, architecture at the University of Melbourne after I finished school and worked for a little while in large infrastructure projects um, globally as an employee at Arab and learned an enormous amount early in my career about how big projects uh, come together and as well as um, some of the major policy that that governs like big infrastructure expenditure um, in Australia, but also overseas. And so what a jump from architecture into ag tech, and I suppose even more so into um, insect based ag tech. So what happened there? Like what, what was the prompt that made you to cross that divide? Yeah, a big, a big transition. Absolutely. So I actually started Bardi, uh, co-founded Bardi with my partner, Alexander Arnold, and he is an entomologist, so uh, an insect specialist um, and a scientist and uh, among many other things. And while I was working in architecture, my partner Alex was working on how to breed and understand the black soldier fly larvae and he completed uh, a master's of agricultural science um, as well as uh, 
some genetics research publications uh, out of the University of Melbourne, the, the same university that I was studying at, and really became a world leader in the space. And it was when he was visiting me um, when I was working in Europe for a short time that we we really just had at the time what we thought was a, a sort of fanciful or an absurd idea, which was what if you built a, a city scale building like a, a train station or an infrastructure project like the Olympics, something that I had been um, exposed to in my early work to house this insect that Alex was researching to to transform to transform a whole city's waste into valuable resources that that could then help fuel and, and run that city. So it really started out as a as a thought experiment. And I think being away from home, being away from Melbourne at the time, um, really allowed us to step back and, and think big. So you went, you had it as a, as a thought process, but then how did it jump from the actual thought process? Because there's a big gap, I would think, between, you know, all right, this is a great idea. And, you know, we know that we need to at least double the food production, uh, you know, that happens in the world, uh, I think by 2050. And yet we've got to uh, reduce the amount of carbon emissions that go with it by about 75% in that same period. So you're working through this exercise of how do we solve these big problems and bring our skill sets together, you know, for the benefit of humanity. But that's where most great ideas stop, right? I mean, how did you take that massive thought exercise and actually turn it into action and, you know, and get started? Yeah, it's true. It is a big leap. And I think there was a real groundswell of entrepreneurial activity around me when I was at university. And I, I really think that without that, we wouldn't have have gone on to found uh, body or thought that as young people we could uh, just stop working in our careers and start doing something like this, something so mm. um, outlandish and big. So when I was at university, I lived on campus at one of the residential colleges. And while I was there, I, I was also joined by someone else from my town in the Mornington Peninsula who was studying to become a vet. And while we were living there, the, the college that I was at decided to create an entrepreneurial center and started running a master's course in entrepreneurship called the, um, the Wade Entrepreneurial Center. Uh, and they'd received a, a bequest from an alum who um, supported, yeah, supported that, that thinking and, mm. and that type of learning. And genuinely as as an architecture student I was mostly interested in the building that they were building um right. and that's what was getting me really interested in the in the center that was there but my friend who was a vet she um was studying to be a vet she actually switched course and started an ag tech startup and then I was able to watch her process and she went on to get into some amazing accelerator programs and and find um really really take her idea um, and turn it into something. And so I think that was the seed of, you know, the thought that this was that this was even possible. Cause I think yeah. really we're in a unique time where, you know, people can have an idea and then find people who'll back them to to try and make it a reality. Easier said than done, I suppose. We'll come back onto that in a in a moment. But what okay, so let's just take a step back though, uh, Phoebe. What actually does Bardi do? What do you what do you guys actually do? Yeah, so at Bardi, we transform food waste into protein and fertilizer using insects, a really special insect called the black soldier fly larvae, originally from Florida. And we're on a mission to reshape 
the global food system. So what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? So we have a big facility in Melbourne where we receive and collect tens of tons of food waste every single day. So trucks and trucks and trucks. And they tip that food waste in a big pile in a in a bay. And we almost immediately collect that food waste and run it along a automated conveyor belt and manufacturing line where the food waste is imaged live. And with that image, we're able to attach a nutritional profile to that food waste and then generate custom blends to have a perfect diet for the black soldier fly larvae. In another part of the facility, we run a breeding program, a bit like a a stud breeding program at a a farm or something like that. But this is uh, very vertical, very um, high tech in these automated labs. And so we'll breed about 1.3 billion new individual insects per week. And those insects are combined into a vertical farming system with the custom blends of food waste and put into a really controlled environment uh, where in seven days we can get those insects to grow 3,000 times in volume and 10,000 times in weight and produce one and a half times their their harvest weight in castings or poo. And while doing that, consume every single bit of food waste that's come through our door with no additional water. So at that point, all the food waste is gone after seven days. The grubs have grown from the size of a grain of sand to the size of a jelly bean from the from the chemist. They've produced one and a half times their weight in poo. And it's up to us now to go back to an automated manufacturing line and separate the, the poo, the castings from the grubs. And the grubs go on to be processed into a few different types of protein products for pet food and animal feed. And the castings get turned into an organically certified fertilizer that goes back into the into the food system to grow more food or into people's um, homes and gardens. What a funny journey life leads us on uh, sometimes, doesn't it? From expert at large scale infrastructure projects to an expert in insect poo. But uh, <laughs> but you mentioned there that you had you know you were creating custom food blends to optimize, I suppose, the the nutrition for the flies. So what does that look like? I mean, are you able to use pretty much any food waste you get given? Where I I, I heard you say something you had a tuna head that you had to let work out how to process uh, once before. Is it is it you know like meat proteins as well as vegetable proteins? Can you do anything or you know there's certain types that are better than others how does that work yeah so we we process everything we process every type of food waste you can imagine a scoby bigger than your living room from kombucha um so things like that all the way through to fruits and vegetables from wholesale markets um from shopping centers schools uh people's favorite restaurants and bars uh work office towers um all sorts of places we'll we'll receive food waste Mm. from and we can process it all. The reason we need to create these custom precise blends of food waste is because at Body, what we really believe is that every waste stream can be turned into a valuable resource and the work to be done is that transformation and uplift of waste. So how low a waste stream or difficult waste stream can you take in 
And what matters is how high you can you can transform that that waste into something valuable. Um, and we we measure that through the UN FAO's like food waste hierarchy. We're turning food waste back into food for people or food for animals or fertilizer are the two highest things you can do with food waste after um, not wasting it at all. And so you've got essentially two product streams out of that. One is the the kind of the insect larva base that gets turned into the the protein meal uh, that we saw back in episode 45 used in in uh, in pet treats. And then the other one, which, you know, was news to me until fairly recently was, as you say, the castings, the insect poo, uh, which, of course, makes an incredible fertilizer. So talk to us a little bit about that, because you you, you recently uh, hit a huge success in getting into Bunnings uh, with your fertilizer product. Tell us, tell us about that. Super exciting. We have been commercially selling our Superfly organic fertilizer for over a year now, largely into Australian horticulture, where we've seen just really exciting results. The Superfly fertilizer that we're producing from the Black Soldier Fly larvae uh, it comes from their from their guts, right? It's their their poo, and it carries all of the amazing microbial activity from their gut. It also contains their insect exoskeletons, which plants have evolved with over millennia to respond to, um, and it activates their natural plant defense defenses, and it also onsets fruiting and budding. So. There are these parts of the fertilizer that come from the insect casing or the insect exoskeleton and the gut of the insect itself that have not been commercially available uh, before. And that's why we're seeing these great results. And so because of our commercial success in with fruit and veggie growers and vineyards and turf, there was an interest from Bunnings, the, the largest uh, home improvement DIY um, retailer here in Australia to uh, see if we could have a retail product available on their shelves for use, uh, not just at commercial farms, but also for home gardeners, um, particularly after the huge uptick in people wanting to grow their own healthy, nutrient-dense fruit and veg at home during the pandemic. Um, so we worked with the Bunnings team for a almost a year actually on developing things like the packaging and then testing the product stability and consistency across a national supply chain. Things like sending a pallet out to a remote um, far north Queensland, leaving it outside and seeing if the, the product would um, stay stable and look exactly the same as a bag opened from inside the factory. Uh, so that was a long process and, and we had a lot of support from Bunnings to bring bring this concept to fruition of, of taking this to the consumer market. How much of that uh, sort of testing process was driven by Bunnings expectations and how much of that is just you guys going, yeah, we need to know this is going to work? I think it was a, a, a true partnership. Uh, we really fed off each other to take all of these steps. We, of course, knew that we needed to build a, a really stable, consistent supply chain. But some of the things that a, a farmer might be used to seeing in, in terms of a little bit of inconsistency here and there in a, in a bulk product is very different to what a consumer might expect, where the expectation is 100% perfection and consistency every single time. 
And so we mm. knew that we needed to do further product development throughout that year to, to hit those standards um, and increase our overall quality assurance program at our facility. And that meant iterating on different types of packaging, cartoning, um, even processing and and manufacturing line equipment in, in our own facility to achieve that. It's interesting to think that you guys are probably now at this point world leaders in uh, quality control for fly poo. <laughs> uh, you would imagine that that's quite a quite a claim to fame in a way that you've, you've been able to, because in fact, Bunnings um, was represents quite a few firsts, doesn't it, in terms of uh, an ag tech, particularly based on black soldier fly production, uh, getting into national chains. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting. It's a, it's a global, global first for a black soldier fly larvae based fertilizer to be um, launched in a retail store anywhere. But also I think almost more importantly, it's the first time there's been an insect based fertilizer on shelves distinct from a compost because through all of that food waste blending and our work on the genetics of the insect we're actually able to guarantee the plant available nutrients inside the fertilizer we're producing and that's what makes it a fertilizer as opposed to a compost because it has all of these functional measurable and consistent benefits to crops and gardens and the other thing that's been uh, probably the most exciting but also challenging thing about this product is that it is alive in in every sense of the word, it is alive. So when we speak about having packaging that works, this is probably has more than meets the eye in terms of complexity. Superfly has about 200 times more beneficial microbes um, than uh, a best practice compost. And that means about 240 million microbes per gram in each package. And so when we talk about packaging, it needs to um, it needs to breathe, it needs to help the micro microbial content go dormant during shipping and storage, but then come alive again as soon as it gets to the garden and has water on it and things like that. So some of the challenges we faced were little pockets of moisture from microbial activity inside the packaging um, that we had to sort of work through to get right over time. And I suppose there's, you know, like you guys are doing something that's genuinely groundbreaking. I'm guessing there's no sort of formal certification process to prove that you're, you know, that you're doing what you're saying with it when it comes to fly-based uh, fertilizer as opposed to any other fertilizer in terms of its efficacy or any of that sort of stuff. So I'm assuming there isn't. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there are. But how do you go about proving how great your product is to a chain like Bunnings? We did a lot of work with our commercial customers. Last year, we uh, produced a 90-page industry report uh, publishing all of our field trial data and summarizing the academic literature around black soldier fly larvae castings fertilizer and specifically the product that we're producing through our technology at Bardi. And that was the first time that quantum of, of commercial data had ever been available about a product like this. Mm. And then the other thing is just it comes out in the nutritional analysis. We send our fertilizer batches um, samples off for external NADA certified lab um, nutrient analyses. 
And that's how we prove that there are the plant available nutrients, um, macro and micronutrients, amino acids um, in our fertilizer and that, that they are consistent uh, every time. And there's a lot more research to do in terms of really proving out and nailing the efficacy of the product. But fundamentally, we know that when it's being applied commercially and in field trials on homes and gardens, it's seeing great results. So now the academic research is really just catching up to what people are already seeing in in real practice. Absolutely amazing. I mean, you guys are just doing such groundbreaking breaking stuff. Do you, you've got obviously got the, you know, we just talked a few minutes ago about the two separate kind of groups of products, the sort of the protein base and then the, and then the fertilizer base. Do you see one being uh, sort of B2B and one being B2C or is it a blend of both? Our thinking on this has evolved tremendously over time. When, when we founded Barty, we founded a B2B business. We believe that we would be a bulk ingredient supplier for both protein and fertilizer. We always had uh, been interested in the Intel um, commercial strategy where you're effectively, in our case, a branded ingredient uh, that's named or labeled on a on packaging. And so our very first commercial launches were white labeling type partnerships where Body was a branded ingredient on someone else's e-commerce or um, retail product. But as we were able to produce uh, larger and larger quantities of protein and fertilizer, and as we saw consumer um, interest sort of peak and, and grow, uh, and then we weren't seeing small, medium, large brands adopt our ingredients as quickly as we would have liked to, to meet that interest and, and market demand, we saw an opportunity for Body to step in and try to develop our own brands. And so the first mm. brand that Body has launched is the fertilizer brand um, called Superfly. And that's really our test to see if that's a strategy that we would then deploy in like our other product categories. Was Superfly around before Bunnings as a separate sort of e-commerce or direct consumer yourself, or did it get invented essentially to meet the need of the national retailer? We were already calling our fertilizer that we were selling to commercial horticulture growers um, Superfly. We actually had a T-shirt at the time for our team that had um, our fly graphic on it with Superfly written across it. Originally, we used to call the product Body Organic Fertilizer, like the company name and then Organic Fertilizer. But mm. when we were going out to visit farmers and, and spending time on farm, we'd always wear these shirts until uh, eventually um, through word of mouth farmers would start to refer to us as the superflies or that superfly product I think it was just more catchy than body organic fertilizer so I love it we called ourselves superflies um but then it evolved into becoming the brand and the product name um through mm. just, becoming known and becoming referred to that way by the farmers we were working with. And so we continued with that when we when we had the opportunity to launch um, in Bunnings. I mean, it might have happened by accident, like you just described, but at the same time, it's absolute genius because what you're essentially doing at the same time is you're stamping um, a very important name on a new classification of product groups. You're owning that name uh, out there in the marketplace, you know, Superfly and, and the fly being the key part of it, obviously. Uh, but in a way, you're also educating customers as to what this is about and the fact it's a good thing. 
um you know just by the, by calling it that because if you just say oh barney at barney organic organic fertilizer nobody would know what it was about um so it's a genius absolute genius name i absolutely love it uh, it's very and it is as you say very very catchy so that's quite an incredible sort of um strategic journey you've been on there from from being a, a business that was set up essentially to be a um an ingredients manufacturer i suppose you might call it b2b and then transitioning into b2c where's the split these days is it is it mostly still b2b with with a nicely growing b2c or are you focusing more on b2c i would say we're still mostly b2b with a with a really exciting growth in our our b2c yeah. channels i have a feeling that they'll overtake our b2b channels in the in the near future which is very exciting something we've become quite obsessive about is uh transparency and um uh, just education around the circular economy the opportunity to have fertilizers on shelf consumer facing inspired us to also do the same with our waste collection service so before Bunnings, we only received food waste tips from people who didn't know that their food waste was coming to us. They just didn't know. They probably thought their food waste was going to landfill or at best composting. And then the waste logistics companies were just making a, a saving by sending it to us, but not passing on that information. And we wanted to really show where the transfer and transformation of in ingredients and waste was happening. And so we put these bins on the street and in restaurants and in schools uh, telling our story through putting stickers all over the bin about the CO2 offsets that we can create, the carbon credits, the insect, how it grows, what it does, um, how it can eat such an amazingly diverse range of, of food scraps because we really want people to see the food waste that they've generated go in the bin and then mm. see that transformed um, back into something they want to buy uh, on the shelf yeah. so that it's not just us creating a circular economy, it's everyone being able to participate in it transparently. So it's really changed our entire thinking on what Buddy is and, and what our role is. What a brilliant idea doing the whole branding of bins thing. I think that's genius too. A very smart way to kind of cost-effectively tell the story and and raise awareness for for what it is you're doing and but but something you just said absolutely blew my mind and i did see this the other day as well which is that you are one of the first if not the only sort of i don't know what do you even call insect manufacturers what insect breeder ag tech company i don't know i don't know i don't know what the appropriate phrase for your vertical is but you're the first one of your kind to be able to offer carbon offset credits genuinely certified carbon offset credits so I mean, that blows my mind. So could you just tell us quickly a little bit about that? Yeah, it's it's a bit funny because it's not often that Australia is sort of world leading in the carbon credit and off, offset, Indeed. Off, offset space. I might get in trouble for saying that from a few people. But in October last year, uh, in 2022, Buddy was uh, certified by the Clean Energy Regulator, uh, the Clean en Energy Regulator is part of the Australian government, and uh, to produce carbon credits. And it's the first insect technology in the entire world to be certified to produce carbon credits. And it's now being used as a uh, like a landmark decision and a um, case study in Europe and, and other places. We yeah, worked really hard to get that certification. And again, in collaboration with the clean energy regulator and the um, clean energy regulator legal, legal team, internal and external legal team. Uh, and it's something that we did in-house at Body as well. 
And for us, it was just, again, about we need a way to have a third party come and audit and demonstrate with with really high efficacy the positive impact that we're having by diverting food waste from landfill. It it can't just be us saying Mm. it. And carbon credits seemed like the best way to do that. So that's why we pursued it so um, like aggressively. Once again, very smart because, you know, there's a lot talked uh, about greenwashing and, and people making claims to be doing better things for the planet. And when you're really at the cutting edge, like you guys are, there isn't necessarily a fixed mold that says, yes, this is how we can prove it. So what you're doing is you're engineering ways to prove that you are actually doing some amazing things by kind of tacking on parts. Now, you could easily have gone and built your business without the carbon credits thing, but it's very smart because it gives you a level of credibility, proof and authority in that space to say that, yeah, actually, we're, we're, we're serious players and we're doing some good things, which is which is very, very smart. So, but, you know, just going back a little bit to being, you know, maybe a, a one-year-old business, you've got, uh, I guess, a, um, a prototype or at least a working process for essentially converting food waste into, uh, into protein stroke, um, stroke uh, castings. And then you're launching into marketplace as this, as this tiny little brand that wants to change the world. Talk us through the reaction that you've had both from, you know, the retailers that you've approached, the customers that you've approached, and of course, other big brands who are sort of muscling in or you're muscling into their space. How, how has that dynamic been working out for you? I think we've, we've just learned so much and I've honestly been so surprised uh, along the way. I think, you know, as coming from architecture and my co-founder coming from a deep science and biology, chemistry background, we really thought that building the innovation and technology would be the challenge. And I think we've actually found that 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 commercialization, go-to-market pricing strategy is is in many ways um, even even more challenging and and time-sensitive. We always anticipated that waste might be our most challenging industry and, and the most difficult to disrupt. I think many people might imagine that. I think the waste industry like often has a bad bad name. Um, and we've honestly found the exact opposite. The, the waste industry overall has been incredibly welcoming and collegiate uh, with Body because at the end of the day with waste, people's, people's equipment breaks down sometimes. We all have to cover for each other occasionally. And, of course, we're all building businesses and um, need to pay our bills and our team and, and all of those things, but at the end of the day, the waste needs to get picked up and we can't leave people with a smelly mess. And so everyone gets around helping each other to make sure that happens. And organic waste has been something that the industry has struggled with for, for some time to have an effective solution and the government has a levy on it. And so we've, we feel that we've been like very positively welcomed into that, into that space, even when we went out and started doing our own collection service, which was... Uh, we were a little bit nervous if if the feelings would stay the same, but and 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 can honestly say they have. Contrastingly, I would say that uh, we've we've come up against lots of surprising uh, blockers in in fertilizer. And I spoke before about how collaborative um, and welcoming Bunnings has been um, as we've launched in retail. But I think 
and and maybe uh, many listeners to this podcast um, and people working in retail and e-commerce and, and branding uh, would know, like retail can be a, a really tricky um, and tough game. So things like pricing and shelf space and uh, reviews on the website and things like that can can, can, yeah, people can feel a little bit threatened and try to destabilize new entrants like Barty, particularly mm. when we have a, 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 a genuine sustainability story to, to tell. Um, I hope we'll be able to build strong relationships going into the future, but I'd say right now I think we're ruffling feathers and uh, no one's quite uh, and we haven't quite found our, our, our space and I think we won't for a little while. You've proven in the space of three years that you can commercialize something like this and start to scale it to significant scale. Cause I think you said you were doing 30 tons a day or able to process 30 tons a day of organic waste at this point. Is that about right? Yeah. Up to, up to about 40 tons or um... let's call it 40 tons a day. That, that's far enough. I mean, that that's, that's a lot of stuff, albeit, you know, a small amount in the big picture, but a lot of stuff that you've been able to scale from essentially nothing, a wheelbarrow full a day at the start till, till now. And, and yet, so you proved that. And yet the big brands haven't necessarily adopted this. And I think there's a lesson in there, isn't there, around the importance that that we have to attach to small brands changing the status quo and challenging the dynamics of what can be done and proving that there's definitely a space for small brands in, in what would otherwise be a massive brand dominated marketplace. What do you what do you what do you think about that? I think a lot of like major brands are waiting for smaller and medium-sized brands to build the sustainable product offering and and market education piece for them. I think Mm. a lot of people think it might be too late to start up a a sustainability-focused e-commerce or retail brand offering or product. product. Um, and, and I actually think we're finding the opposite. The in our in our markets, the generally the larger businesses are still waiting in the wings to really meaningfully make big commitments to sustainability or make make these large shifts. Um, and we're here to support that. Like we would we would love to be supplying those those major brands as well because you know every bit counts when it comes to the environment mm. and sustainability. But what we're seeing is it's actually the small and medium brands who are doing the work to build consumer knowledge um, and these amazing sustainable brands. And it's hard work, but alongside that work is is a lot of amazing opportunity as well. Yeah, I think you're exactly right there. You know, I've said this many times that it's the small, medium brands who have the relationship with the customers. Big brands don't necessarily have relationship with their customers. They have a lot of brand presence and they got a lot of brand equity, but it isn't necessarily transcribed to a relate a trusting relationship with their with their customers. Unlike small brands, and particularly ones that focus on e-commerce, where you know you've got people in the e-commerce journey, you've got their emails, you've got their SMS numbers, and and whatever else, and you can push content and push information to help them live more sustainably. That's a very powerful position, you know, to be in, and, and and one that I think is very very important. But you know, you say it's you know a lot of people think it's too late to start up. Let's talk a little bit for a few minutes about about funding, if we may, because I know that you guys have had to have acquired funding along the way to get to the huge technology stack that you've got now. Can you talk to us a little bit about your approach for that and, and how you've seen that landscape change over the last few years? Yeah, absolutely. So Body was initially uh, venture capital funded. So we started um, at the University of Melbourne with a, a university grant of $20,000, and we were able to build in, in just a few weeks 
uh, with my background in architecture, a very small lab on university grounds, about 60 square meters, and start building out the breeding program for, for the insects with my co-founder, Alexander Arnold. And that was incredibly exciting, really fast progress, and it allowed us to get some small um, product samples to potential customers and demonstrate that they're there could be a market for what we were doing and, and the products that, that we would be able to go on to produce with um, additional investment uh, for developing innovative infrastructure and, and um, capability with these insects. And it was being able to demonstrate that uh, quite quickly and then turn that into uh, a, a VC venture capital partner style um, pitch uh, that enabled us to raise our first $1 million of investment and then a subsequent sort of roughly another $7 million Aussie dollars uh, from some of the uh, major, like larger VC um, funds in Australia and, and angel investors as well. And so to date, we've been funded through through that venture those that venture capital funding process. However, we have seen the landscape change over the last uh, I'd say eighteen months since say like February March last year in 2022. And I think when we went through our funding cycle of of raising that seven to eight mil Aussie dollars, um, that really was the peak of the market. Or the, or the top of the market. And we've seen a, a huge reduction in, in capital deployment into sort of high-risk uh, deep tech startups and even more so into female founders. Uh, in the last 18 months, we've seen a huge, huge dip. And so now I think not just Body, but other companies and other climate tech companies and, and sustainable brands are looking for capital to grow from not just VCs, like, yes, definitely still looking at VCs, but also other sources um, like impact-specific funds, uh, climate-specific funds and uh, debt opportunities where more people are willing to fund um, the world that they want to see in the future uh, beyond Mm. just VC brands. And uh, because of that shift in the market, uh, I know at Bardi and I, and many others have had to sort of broaden uh, where we're looking for for growth capital. And does that changing landscape mean you're changing the way you're preparing for the funding rounds as well? Uh, definitely. Uh, sometimes th- there's a lot of different ways that people talk about the shift in the market and investors are definitely looking for different metrics than what they were looking at um, a couple of years ago. And so I know for me, when going for funding, it's just about um, listening to the feedback each time, deciding which parts of that feedback are actionable uh, and useful and and making those changes as you go. So it's quite iterative. And and I know for me, the way that I pitched Buddy, um, pitched Buddy when it was a a seed stage, um, like concept, deep tech, pre-revenue, um, company is so different to how we talk about what we've achieved now and yeah. um, the type of funding required and the type of metrics required to to grow. I'm intrigued. Do you ever get asked by any of the people that you're presenting to or pitching to, do you ever get asked what your impact metrics are or is it all about the financials? I think it really depends on on who who I'm talking to. 
However, I think how we think about body and how I generally think about, about startups as well is startups are like the, on a spectrum, the very TB, TB, TB end of, um, of capitalism and, and it's, it's high risk, high reward growth. Me and my co-founder, Alex, we've always believed that business can be an incredible vehicle for good and profit can be a very incredible vehicle for good, uh, especially if you're reinvesting that profit back into the company. At, at Barty, we have an incredible benefit that just by existing, it means that we are diverting food waste from landfill and avo- avoiding methane emissions. So the more we exist, mm. the more prevalent and present um, we are throughout Australia and, and hopefully one day overseas as well. The, the more good we will be doing and and we can do that through profit and I think it's one of the the few ways to really influence large change of course there's policy um there's charity and then I think startups and like hyper growth business is another way to to create the change you want to see in the world that um that is like very suited to to our times and one that I know everyone in our team, we're trying to make the most of. I love it. I think everything you just said is exactly spot on. So you're obviously trying to make a big change. What's next? What do you see coming up for for Bardi over the next sort of 18 months, two years? We've really achieved the product quality and insect technology that we always set out to achieve and in many cases exceeded the technical capability. And so that's an an incredible platform now for us to develop more products, to launch into the market and to allow more and more people to participate in the circular economy, turning waste um, back into something valuable and usable. And so we want to see more of our products in the hands of more consumers and and commercial farms and growers. And um, that's probably what's exciting us most at the moment. And alongside that comes uh, physical expansion as well. So I can't lie that as an architect, it would be an absolute dream to be able to build a a mega factory uh transforming a whole waste worth of facility just uh, worth of um food waste just like the original idea Alex and I had but I think that will come as we are able to um grow the market um in our space I don't doubt you'll get there it's it's definitely a very exciting time so where can people apart from Bunnings nationally where can people go and get some Superfly yeah, so we sell Superfly fertilizer, um, protein and, and live grubs for, for hens in your garden and, and fishing bait and things like that, all on our website. We also, um, are of course, available in Bunnings as well as uh, most independent nursery stores uh, for Superfly fertilizer. And if you reach out on our website, we can also supply waste collection services for food waste at any scale, um, as well as commercial quantities of either, either protein or fertilizer. Amazing. Phoebe, thank you so much for sharing what is an incredible ride with us here uh, at Sustainably Commerce. Really appreciate uh, your time. It's been fascinating learning about that whole business, which is something I'm really not familiar with. So thanks so much for, for sharing those uh, those stories with us. Thank you so much. Back to Giles again for my top takeouts. And firstly, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but the funding landscape for sustainability-focused startups has shifted significantly in the past 18 months. 
If your business is close to looking for funding, it's important to know that the appetite for risk among the larger VC system has changed, and you may need to adjust your sites, your approach, and how you're presenting your business accordingly. If approaches to seeking growth capital is a topic that interests you, hit me up on LinkedIn, let me know, and I'll see what I can do to pull together some experts on this topic to provide their thoughts for you on this show. But specifically back on Bardi, I thought it was interesting and instructive to hear the work that needed to go into re-engineering their product to be suitable for a retail placement with Bunnings. From scientifically proving the efficacy and real field data trials, through to packaging design and even re-engineering their waste inputs to generate a consistent experience bag to bag for the consumer. Remembering that we're talking about fly poo, not a tin of paint or a box of breakfast cereal, that was quite eye-opening. Finally, of course, if we want to create a healthier planet, we have to have big brands doing the right things. But I've always said that it's the SME brands that are pivotal to helping us get there. Bardi is a case in point. A little tech startup from Melbourne is showing the world a way to re-engineer the food system using insects to turn food waste that would otherwise be rotting in landfill into valuable products that can be injected back into the food system and making a massive impact on reducing carbon emissions at the same time. If your brand is making an impact and challenging the status quo, then never forget that what you're doing is needed and a vital part of this whole ecosystem. So I hope you found significant inspiration from Phoebe and her journey from architect to ag tech superstar. I'll be back again next week with more stories from the world of sustainable e-commerce. So until then, keep building your brand for a healthier planet.